The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Cut short at eight. Stocks ending their record run as the latest read on inflation gives some investors a reason to sell. More on the way today. Get charged up. The Rivian IPO launching, and the electric truck maker could be one of the largest IPOs ever. Move over, PayPal. Step aside, Affirm, and make room, Klarna. There's a new buy now, pay later unicorn making waves and getting ready to bring its tech stateside. Plus, a worldwide exchange exclusive. The CEO of Chenier Energy is here with strong words about the global energy crisis. Later on, crypto's record run doing nothing to help shares of Coinbase this morning. It is your biggest money mover on this Wednesday, November 11th. This is Worldwide Exchange. You didn't go forward in time. It's actually November 10th, but I'm in the U.K., so like for me, it is November 11th. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. Not really sure what this music is, but it kind of feels like you're in an elevator in Hawaii. I'm Brian Sullivan, coming to you live from London all week. It is great to be here. The city really is rocking. It's packed. The subways are packed. Restaurants are packed. Offices are back, and it all feels shockingly normal. All right. Let's see if this record rally in stocks is continuing because that has been the normal for markets lately. Certainly, and right now we're not seeing any indication of a big move either way, to be fair. Dow futures down a little bit, 44. NASDAQ futures off one-tenth of one percent. Long way to go. It's like two people trading futures out this hour. This after the run took a little pause on Tuesday. The NASDAQ snapping an 11-day win streak. The S&P's win streak cut short at eight, which was its longest losing streak of all time. In fact, all-time closing high streak. Going back to 1997, check this out. If we had ended higher on the S&P 500 yesterday, it would have been the longest record-breaking closing high win streak since, wait for it, July of 1964 when LBJ was president and the Beatles, a little British band you might have heard about, topping the charts with, I want to hold your hand and she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday's move lower coming on the heels of some rather shocking Inflation data, wholesale prices seeing their biggest year-over-year gain in more than a decade. More data out today with the CPI, Consumer Price Index, and you got the weekly jobless claims number at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time today. All right, let's go now around the world, mostly red arrows overnight in Asia. And here in Europe, the trading day is just getting started, and kind of like the, the major market averages, not seeing a huge move in either direction. Earnings season still going strong. There is a number of big money movers out today, including Marks and Spencer, the retailers surging on strong third quarter results. Adidas, also known as Adidas, shares falling after cutting its full year forecast due to supply chain constraints. And Continental Tire, earnings falling short as a global chip shortage hurts global car sales. Our meantime, back in the United States, investors gearing up for what could be 
the 11th biggest IPO in American history. Savannah Hanau is here now with that and some of this morning's other top corporate headlines. Savannah, good morning, or as I call it, good afternoon. <laughs> good morning, Brian. It is morning here. <laughs> Electric vehicle maker Rivian pricing its initial public offering at $78 a share last night. That's well above its expected range of $72 to $74, valuing the company at $77 billion on a fully diluted basis. The company, which is backed by Ford and Amazon, had previously expected to price shares between $57 and $62. Rivian says it expects to lose up to $1.28 billion this quarter while generating no more than $1 million in sales for the same period. The company just began production on its electric pickup, the R1T, and plans to deliver 10,000 of them as soon as next year. Wynn Resort CEO Matt Maddox says he will step down from his role in January and will be succeeded by the company's current digital head. Maddox had stepped into the CEO role back in February of 2018 when the company's founder, Steve Wynn, resigned amid allegations of sexual misconduct. Maddox will remain on the boards of Wynn Macau and Wynn Interactive through the end of 2022. And St. Louis Federal Reserve President James Bullard says he's expecting the central bank to hike its key benchmark rate twice in 2022 after completing its bond-buying program. Speaking with CNBC, Bullard added his viewpoint is based on current economic data and that his prediction could change and that he is also weighing in on the inflation picture in the U.S. We do think some of the increase in inflation will turn out to be uh, will turn out to moderate as we get into 2022 here. So we're waiting to see more data to see if that happens. And then on the other side, I think we're hedging our bets to some degree and preparing to be somewhat more aggressive with monetary policy to keep inflation under control. Bullard is not a voting member on the Fed's policy-making committee this year, but will be next year. Brian? Silvana, thank you very much, you and we'll it. see you in a few minutes. Sounds good. All right, and all that is a great place to pick up a conversation with our first guest on this Wednesday morning, and that is Malcolm Etheridge. He is executive VP at CIC Wealth. Malcolm, it's good to have you back on. I mean, there's so much talk about inflation. And by the way, stay tuned. The RBI is about inflation coming up and how it may get worse before it gets better. But the markets and investors don't seem to care at all. Why not? Well, it's it's interesting. I, I think the newest numbers that have come out as far as uh, jobs data is concerned, and then you pair that with the fact that We've gotten these new treatments from Merck and Pfizer that have been announced and, and could actually be in the marketplace, you know, early next year has brought with it like a whole new renewed sense of optimism um, for investors that uh, really seems like a different type of optimism than what folks have had the last uh, the last few months. Um, for sure. Yeah, I saw I saw Malcolm a stat yesterday and please don't quote me on this. It's early and my numbers are a little off, but you get the directional nature of it. Is that is the flows into the QQQ, the the Nasdaq basically 100 ETF were up like 70% from a month earlier. Now, it, bottom line is people are buying stocks, they're buying crypto. It's aggressive on the technology side. Is is there anything you see that might slow that down? Well, we've actually been encouraging clients to diversify away from that mega cap trade that that got us here, right? We've yep. been riding this wave for a very long time, but what we're we're really noticing is underneath the surface, there's there's a lot of stocks that 
haven't really gotten as much love all the way through the pandemic and, and basically through Q3 that are starting to break out in those same uh, indexes you mentioned. And that kind of means that 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 same mega cap, you know, fang trade that we've been so reliant on isn't quite the one that uh, isn't isn't likely to be the one that leads us, you know, over the next year or so the way it has before. And we've really been encouraging clients to, you know, sort of think a little bit differently, not be so afraid to step away from the herd, um, because I really am concerned that, you know, it, it's kind of like that old uh, adage from the 90s where nobody ever got fired for buying IBM, right? If you're a fund manager the last five years, nobody's ever gotten fired for buying uh, FANG stocks. But I think that could be changing. And I want to make sure that uh, our clients and anybody watching this understands that, like, just what got you here won't necessarily yeah. get you there. That is well said. And by the way, we showed our graphic of the FANG stocks, but Facebook changed its name. So they're going to have to change it to MANG because now it's meta, not Facebook. Uh, Malcolm, you're thinking differently. There we go. The MANG stocks. Uh, I'm coining it right now. Uh, you are thinking outside the box and you believe we're talking about the Rivian IPO, by the way, backed by Ford and Amazon. But you think GM, General Motors, is a good buy here. How come? Yeah, I think if if the likes of Tesla in their early days have taught us anything, it's that infrastructure really matters. And I don't mean that coming off the back of this uh, uh, Biden bill uh, as a pun. I mean, literally the infrastructure to be able to build these cars consistently and deliver numbers on target. Uh, people seem to have forgotten, you know, short memories here, just how many stumbles Tesla had with cars falling apart and being back in the shops and those sorts of things in their earlier days. And I, I don't see that as going away, right? It's really tough to manufacture cars at scale and consistently put out the numbers, the output numbers that you promise. And GM seems very well poised to to be able to do that. They have the infrastructure. They've been doing this forever. But then also you, you couple that with the fact that the thing that's really sapped uh, EV adoption in this country has been people's concern that if I go and drive too far as I go to visit my relatives for the holidays coming up, I, I won't be able to, uh, quote unquote, fill up on the way. Right. And so with the new infrastructure bill having about seven billion dollars in it uh, slated for building out charging stations in a, in a nationwide network, it just seems like that yeah. one obstacle to EV adoption has now been taken off the table or will be taken off the table. And that's going to be to the benefit of a company like a GM that's got such a wide product set. Well said. You just got to have something to do while you charge. They're figuring that out. And electric car sales are just absolutely booming. Malcolm Etheridge, CIC. Pleasure to have you on the show, Malcolm. Thanks for getting up early. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks, Brian. All right. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, turning up the heat in the already white hot buy now, pay later space. A first on CNBC interview with the CEO of Zilch. Plus, there's good, there's bad, and there's just plain ugly. This morning's Big Money Movers, your mystery chart, that's it, revealed ahead. And Elon Musk doing himself no favors as he wipes out $50 billion of its net worth in just two days. How will he eat? More on that story coming up as Wex rolls on right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. One of the newest players in the white-hot buy-now-pay-later space is called Zilch. It is making big waves here in the U.K. and Europe. A fintech company just closing its latest round of fundraising, pushing its valuation to $2 billion, becoming one of the fastest to reach unicorn status in this region. Zilch is looking to keep that momentum going by bringing its business to America. A so-called buy-now-pay-later space, known as BNPL for insiders, now accounts for nearly $100 billion in transactions per year, according to WorldPay. In a first on CNBC interview, we are joined by Zilch founder and CEO Philip Bellamont. Philip, great to have you back on. Congratulations on the fundraising round. I mean, I, even in your wildest, most optimistic dreams, and don't lie, I doubt you guys planned that you would get this big, this fast. How much more room to grow does this market and your company, though, actually have? Brian, good to see you, and thanks for having me on. Um, you know, really, if we just look at what Zilch is, is trying to achieve here, and that is that we are democratizing access to free credit. That's really what our business is all about. And what that means is fundamentally that we want our customer, who's the most savvy customer the world has ever seen, they have information right at their fingertips. We want this customer to be able to go anywhere they like and buy anything they want and not be financially penalized for the privilege. And so, and so really how that looks practically with our business is that our customer can go into any store physically. That could be a Macy's, a Walmart, that could be Selfridges, or that could be online to someone like Amazon or eBay, and they could pay over time for free. So no interest of any kind, no hidden fees. And this is really what we're all about. So with a product as exciting as this, you know, as responsible as this, um, we really think that we have a huge amount of runway ahead of us. If you compare the penetration of BNPL today to something like traditional credit card, of course, they're, they're miles apart. Yep. So we think runway ahead of us is huge. But there are other entrants. There's Klarna. We've talked to Sebastian Sabakowski, the CEO, many times. There's a the firm. Everybody in America is trying to get into this space, including some really big and established players how do you differentiate Zilch? What is your value proposition versus the others? Yeah, I mean, with the way we look at this is that because we are a relatively newcomer to the market, we have the benefit of seeing what these other companies have done well and, of course, what they've not done so well. We also speak to uh, 5,000 customers before we even set this up, and we speak to hundreds of customers weekly. So we really have our finger on the pulse of what our customers want. And if you actually have a look at these incumbents, Really, what we're seeing is they've built these networks, right? So they integrate with these retailers, and you can go to those retailers. And similar to what Zoom did to Skype, we are disintermediating that completely by bypassing this network. We are going direct to the customer and allowing that customer to pay over time for free anywhere they like and for anything they like. And that's fundamentally different to the value proposition you see before. So because we are newcomers to the market, we've been able to use the latest bleeding edge te uh, technology, as well as, of course, take into account yeah. the latest regulation to build something that's truly unique and differentiated. 
You know the criticisms, Philip, which is that, you know, you'll get some, you know, young person, whether it's UK, US, doesn't matter where they are, young people, you know, they, they, they may not realize they buy 10 things, buy now, pay later. Oh, it's 10 bucks a month. I can afford that. Suddenly they got $100 a month in payments and they get underwater, right? How do you make sure that people don't damage themselves in a way by overspending because the monthly payment list looks so damn att- darn attractive? Brian, that's a great question. And I think this speaks to really why Zilch is so different to what you see in traditional BMPL. Traditional BMPL is integrated at the checkout page. And so there has to be an argument made for some impulse purchasing. And I would agree with that statement. This is why we've engineered Zilch completely differently. We take our value proposition direct to the customer. The customer is onboarded with our product first. They understand the terms and conditions. They understand this is a debt instrument. And they understand what balance they have available that they can go and responsibly spend. And we think this is critical. This is why, for instance, in the UK, the FCA granted us a consumer credit license years ago already. We were one of the first companies to achieve this. And stateside, we've done the same thing. We have a Californian lending license. We're working with uh, Cross River as a partner so we can operate at a federal level. So regulation is really important to us. And obviously, we think it's coming to the space in a big way to solve the problem you just mentioned. The, the Zilch use case, of course, bypasses that issue and makes sure the customer clearly understands what they're buying and this is a considered purchase. Yeah. So I think if more and more BNPL providers move in that direction, we'll be in a really good spot. Yeah, 10 or 25 bucks a month. It can add up if you buy a lot of stuff like that as well. You're on it. Philip Bellamont, Zilch, $2 billion valuation. We'll see you in the States, Philip. Thank you. Cheers, Brian. All right, we've got a news alert. All right, cheers. We've got a news alert out of Europe right now. A top European Union court upholding an antitrust ruling against Google and the $2.8 billion fine that goes with it. The ruling was first issued all the way back in 2017 and argues that the Alphabet unit favored its own price comparison shopping service over others, thereby giving it an unfair advantage over smaller European rivals, Google can still appeal to the EU's highest court, although $2.8 billion to Google is literally like me dropping a dime, apparently, on the street. All right, up next, more on our continuing coverage of the potential global energy crisis this winter and why China is buying up all the American gas can, an exclusive interview with the CEO of Chenier Energy. Coming up, hear what Jack Fusco has to say about prices, the crisis in Europe and around the globe. Today's big number, $1.1 trillion. That was the total newly originated mortgage debt during the third quarter, slightly lower than the record high hit in Q2, according to the New York Fed Household Debt and Credit Report. Just 2% of originated mortgages were to subprime borrowers, down from the 12% average in the lead-up to the housing crisis. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem 
of a detour. All right, the music and the graphic are appropriate. It is time now for your big money movers of the morning. Three key stock stories happening now. Let's call them the good, the bad, and the ugly because that's kind of how they represent. Stock number one is DoorDash. Company posting a wider third quarter loss, but revenue did beat forecast. DoorDash also striking a deal to buy Volt, or Wolt, a European delivery service based in Finland for $8 billion. Volt has more than 30,000 restaurant and retail partners in Europe and in Asia. It's Wolt. Not Volt. Volt's a car from GM. Stock number two, Fubo TV. Shares are down after the sports streaming service reported a bigger-than-expected third-quarter loss. On the flip side, the company now says it has more than 1 million subscribers after adding more than 260,000 new customers in the quarter. And stock three, Poshmark. The online clothing reseller missing on third-quarter revenue. It is forecasting holiday sales below estimates. Poshmark also flagging a bigger-than-expected hit. From Apple's recent privacy changes to its iOS that's limited the ability of advertisers to attract customers by tracking you, basically. That stock, wow, down 29% in the pre-markets. Ugly. All right, let's get a check down some of this morning's other headlines, including a judge delivering a legal blow to former President Trump. BC's France Cervera is in New York now with that and more. Francis, good morning. Brian, good morning to you. Former President Donald Trump is dealt a major setback in his fight to block the release of White House records. A federal judge has rejected Mr. Trump's executive privilege claims and sided with the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. The first batch of documents is set to be turned over from the National Archives by Friday. Lawyers for the former president have filed an appeal. The NFL fined quarterback Aaron Rodgers and receiver Alan Lazard nearly $15,000 each for attending a Halloween party unvaccinated. The league spokesperson said the Packers also received a $300,000 fine, alleging the team knew about the party. People's 2021 Sexiest Man Alive has been named. He is that guy, the ageless Paul Rudd. The cover was unveiled on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And check out this scene where Colbert acted as a sexiness adjudicator. Get up sexy, get up sexy, get up sexy, please. That's it. Yeah, he's feeling it, right? In his interview with People, the 52-year-old actor is humble as ever, saying this is not false humility. There are so many people that should get this before me. But, of course, he's ordering new business cards now with that title. A 1 in 100 million lobster was caught in Maine. Look at this thing, a rare blue and pink pigmented crustacean, also called the cotton candy lobster. It was found in Casco Bay. So the hope is it'll be adopted by an aquarium so it could live the rest of his life happy in the aquarium with no plans for a clam bake anytime soon in their future. Brian, those are your headlines. Might be adopted by Lando Lakes with a little bit of steaming butter on the side. I, listen, I, I'm not I'm not that familiar with Paul Rudd's work, but I'm glad to see that, you know, he's like 52, right? Like clueless. it's he's he still going strong with the yeah. five. You can you can have a five handle to start your age, and everything is just fine. I'm I'm hanging on that thread every day, Francis. Thank you. Sure thing. Paul Rudd, go whoever that is. All right up. Up next, as Christmas gets closer, we'll hide some of the out-of-the-box strategies companies are using to navigate the, shall we call it, stretched global supply chain. The CEO of iBrands is here with how they're helping get that stuff on the shelf by Christmas. 
We're back right after this. Christmas in March? Why the White House is pressuring corporate America to fix the supply chain problems ahead of the holidays, but is there anything politicians can do about it? Twitter speaks and Elon Musk listens, but just how much will his social media induced selling cost him, or is he crazy like a fox? And our exclusive conversation with the CEO of Chenier Energy on what the American company is doing to try to cut down on China's insatiable appetite for coal. It is all happening today, November 10th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. The, the things you learn in commercial breaks, I just learned that Paul Rudd was the, was the guy from Anchorman with the mustache who wore the cologne called something panther. That's awesome. I got like eight copies of that for Christmas that year. That's not awesome. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday. We really got the music going here. It's 1030 in the morning. All right. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we are about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour in the East Coast of the United States. Stock futures slightly lower. This after the Nasdaq snapping an 11-day win streak. The S&P's winning streak ended at eight days. By the way, eight straight days. Doesn't sound that long. It was the longest streak of closing highs since all the way back in 1997. In fact, if we had ended yesterday on a new record high, it would have been the longest record streak of new closing highs since July of 1964. That is insane. That's an RBI for you. But alas, it was not to be. And dreams were dashed. Let's get down to some of this morning's top stories, including the growing political panic in Washington President Biden basically begging American companies to try to fix their supply chain woes and risk cutting holiday shopping short. Savannah now is here now with more on that and other stories. Savannah, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, so President Biden speaking with the CEOs of several major U.S. companies on potential steps to alleviate those ongoing supply issues. The White House says the president discussed the matter with the heads of Walmart, Target, UPS and FedEx. The administration says the president specifically focused on speeding up deliveries and lowering prices for consumers. The president later taking to Twitter in a video saying the CEOs told him they were confident customers will be able to get the items they want in the coming weeks. The struggle by shares of Tesla this week proving to be costly for CEO Elon Musk. The stock falling another 12 percent yesterday, bringing its total losses so far for the week to 16 percent. That drop has erased $50 billion from Musk's wealth. The majority of Musk's wealth comes from Tesla stock awards since he doesn't take a salary or cash bonus. And a judge has rejected Apple's request to delay a court order forcing it to allow external payment options for developers operating in its app store. The ruling means the order will go into effect next month. Apple's lawyer argued it would be a difficult process to allow links to outside payments on the App Store and said the tech giant needed more time. The move will potentially allow developers to reduce the 15 to 30 percent fee Apple charges for App Store transactions. Brian, back to you. All right, Savannah Hanal, thank you very much. That's not moving a whole lot. Yeah. All right. Well, let's continue now. This week's focus on the global race for power, both energy, really, and political, because they are tied together, of course. And now Europe, Asia, and even Latin America are all scrambling to buy up energy ahead of the winter. 
all at the same time. And so prices have soared from their pandemic lows. Look at this. Oil, yeah, it's up. You know that, right? You're paying more at the pump. But it's up not that much compared to the others. Natural gas in the U.S. and coal, their prices have doubled since those lows. But that pales in comparison to liquefied natural gas, LNG into Asia. Spot prices are more than 400% as China's willing to pay pretty much anything to make sure it has sufficient inputs, keep the lights and the heat on this winter, and, by the way, keep their factories running. Much of that LNG is being sourced from America. Companies like Chenier, Tellurian, and Venture Global. Chenier just announcing more contracts for sale into China and also a planned expansion of its Texas facility. We had the chance to speak with Chenier CEO Jack Fusco, and I began by asking him about England and continental Europe, the vice grip they are caught in between when it comes to uncertain weather and a lack of energy supplies and the will of one Mr. Vladimir Putin, plus the role of LNG in the world, particularly here in Europe. What you're experiencing in, in, in Europe and in Asia and in Latin America uh, w- with, with LNG is, is a whole transition to a cleaner energy source for the world. And as the economies have come roaring back after the pandemic, uh, the demand for the product has been off the chart. So you had the Europeans competing with the Asians who were also competing with the South Americans uh, for for LNG supply, for energy supply. So in South America, there was a drought. And then in in Europe and in uh, in Asia, it was summer, summer power demand. And uh, and you're right. Most of the time we feel like farmers because we're worried about the weather. Uh, In this case, it's the weather and some geopolitical aspects um, um, going on in in Europe and Western Europe. uh, um, Exactly. But but at the end at at the end of the day, we've delivered about 200 percent more cargoes to Europe this year to date than we did last year. So we feel very good that we're part of the solution there, and and, uh, and hopefully we can continue to help them and support them. Yeah, and you talked about Latin America, something we haven't talked about a lot, relying in Brazil a lot on hydropower. But to your point, the drought there has cut reservoir levels, cut hydropower a bit. The wind hasn't blown. We know renewables are a massive part of the future as we work toward a, a lower or zero emissions world. We all understand that. I think maybe, yep. Jack, the lesson that we're learning now, though, particularly in places like here, like in England, which is, you know, killed coal, they're 100 uh, percent natural gas and and wind for the most part. You've got to be able to fill the gaps in your career. Have you seen a period where demand was this strong suddenly? No, this is a this is the first time we've seen this this type of demand uh, pool, which is why prices uh, in Asia and in Europe are are you know three hundred percent more than they were a year before. So we we we, um, um, we always knew that the energy transition was going to be a long road, that it was going to take everything to make it happen. It's going to take uh, uh, natural gas, going to take wind, solar. Uh, eventually hydrogen or some other technology that we just don't even even know about yet. Um, so we were we were expecting uh, demand growth in liquefied natural gas. Our estimates were that we would see this type of supply and demand imbalance sometime in 2023. Mm. And it's actually happened. And now I think a lot of that is just pure economic recovery, some weather 
and uh, um, and then maybe uh, not so good planning uh, by, you know, by some of the countries for what their energy needs were going to be. Yeah. Now we've seen, according to the FT, the, the England sort of reaching out to Qatar and saying, do, do you have any ships for us? And Qatar may be rerouting a couple of LNG ships here because they're trying to fill what little storage they might have. Has the government of England reached out to you, Jack, and said, can you help us? No, but you know, Brian, we, we have quite a few um, Western European utilities that we serve, as well as uh, Pignig in, in, uh, in Poland. Um, so we're trying to do everything we can do to be as flexible um, with, those, with those utilities that, that need supply right now. And what I think many people in the world don't understand is that they say, you know, there's a school of thought. Higher natural gas or fossil fuel costs are great for renewables because it, it, dri- it kills demand and it, and it drives people toward the renewable side. What I think a lot of people forget is a couple of things. Natural gas is a massive input cost in building renewables, in building wind turbines and the blades and, and the things that you need to have that clean energy transition. Too high nat gas prices are not a good thing on many levels, Correct. Yeah, so what we're seeing is this big switch back from nat gas back to coal. And you, you see it in Asia. And the amount of coal that they're burning right now is, 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 is record levels. And uh, that's just not, it's not good for the, um, uh, for the environment in those countries, and it's not good for the world uh, o- overall. So we like to see a affordable uh, natural gas price where you know countries feel comfortable with switching because they know that they're it's reliable and affordable and it's cleaner than what they're currently using which is coal and 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 oil around the world um and brian you know we support uh the producers and the pipeline companies here in america so today um we bought 6.8 bcf from 74 different producers on 17 different pipelines, we spend about a half a billion dollars a, a, a year buying firm transport from the pipeline companies. We spend over a billion dollars a month buying that gas. And that, that um, um, amount of investment helps the producers, it helps the midstream um, uh, transporters to reinvest in the system, to build the necessary infrastructure. They can depend on us our demand or our, uh, our production is relatively flat and stable, and it gives them some certainty on their revenues and cash flows. So we're, we think we're on the right side of, of the situation right now. We're going to continue to try to do our part to make things better around the world. And our big thanks to Chenier Energy CEO Jack Fusco. And tomorrow we are going to continue our global macro focus on the quest for power by focusing on Vladimir Putin's big power play and why more people need to be talking about nuclear. That is in our exclusive conversation with former Energy Secretary and Texas Governor Rick Perry tomorrow morning, 5.30 a.m., and really all day tomorrow here on CNBC from London. All right, on deck, your mornings, big money movers, the bonus edition, including Coinbase, where that stock is down 10% right now. But as we head to break, some of your other top headlines happening right now. Even Tom Brady, not helping Hertz. They're having a tough return to the public market. Shares down about 10% on their first day of trading on Tuesday after emerging from bankruptcy protection in June. No jab for us. Labor unions representing some 700,000 TSA and other federal workers 
are urging, begging the Biden administration to delay their vaccine mandate until at least January 4th. Most federal workers have until November 22nd to get immunized under the House order. But if they don't, thousands may quit and could cause chaos at the airports. And GET is reportedly getting ready to go public. The Wall Street Journal says the corporate transport company close to a deal with Rosecliff Acquisition Corp and a deal to value it at more than a billion dollars. Worldwide Exchange is back right after this. All right, time now for a bonus edition of Big Money Movers, some three key stock stories that are happening right now. Let's go. Coinbase's third quarter earnings missing forecast. The stock is down. Company adding monthly transacting users fell from a quarter ago to 7.4 million from 8.8 million. Trading volumes also down. The stock is down 11%. Stock number two is Upstart. It's not up. Shares the AI company are lower despite a big beat on earnings. It is likely because the stock's been on a wild ride since October last December. 20% off its October high, but don't cry for the owners. It is still up almost 700% this year. And stock number three is Ring Central, surging right now. Shares are more than 20% strong earnings and a new deal with communication service company Mitel, helping that stock up 22%. All right, well, all those things that you're going to order for the holidays will likely come via boxes and paper and things like that. While we've talked a lot about the supply chain challenges for the stuff we buy lately, we haven't talked a lot about the supply chain or the boxes or the paper itself. Basically, all the packaging required to actually get you that stuff. So let's do that now. Joining us is Mark Garson. He is founder and chairman of supply chain platform iBrands Global. They help brands like Alloy Apparel and Blue Zen Gloves navigate this crazy supply chain world. So, Mark, you're the perfect guest to have on. We do appreciate it. Are you seeing any signs that things are improving, especially on the Chinese side? Well, I'm sorry to say that I think it's a very difficult situation at the moment, and everybody's working hard to make it better. And there are a lot of things that are happening down the road that will improve the situation. But at the moment, we are in a pretty bad logjam. Yeah, and I understand we want to take action on it. Everybody's sort of got their ideas on how to fix it. But As many people on this network have said, you only reopen once, right? It was like the sink was full, the drain was clogged, the world was locked down. You you pull the drain off, it's going to take some time for the water to go through. I mean, is that kind of a metaphor for what's happening now? Or is it something bigger? No, you're, you're right on. It's spot on. To say that today we're going to wake up and we're going to fix the problem, and in two weeks we're going to have all the goods in for Christmas on the shelves is really an unrealistic point of view. This is a problem that uh, emanated originally from COVID, and it's a problem that will continue for quite a while. The supply chain is stopped up. You can see right behind you a picture of the ports, and the shelves are not as full as, as they should be, and it's our duty to come up with solutions to stop this problem from continuing. So what would you do, Mark? What would be, if you were in charge, the whole doggone thing, what would be your job number one and job two? Well, you know, I I think that uh, everybody has been trying. Uh, You know, one of the things that the government did was uh, when COVID came, they started a, a stimulus package, the stimulus package to make sure that they properly did this so that the citizens would be able to live and not have too much despair. But 
what happened was nobody expected COVID to last as long as it did. And in turn, the stimulus had to last for the same amount of time. So what it did was it discouraged the workforce from going back to work. They became very comfortable. It was almost like a sleeping pill. Everybody's not been working their home and they have not, the workforce has not gone back in full force yet. So I do have a couple of ideas that I think would be very, very helpful. Um, you know, the, the government put together a tariff and the tariff was done so that we can have more production and goods made in the USA. And that would support our own economy. But in reality, like you yep. stated right up front in this interview, it, it doesn't happen in a moment. It takes a long time. So what the tariff did instead was it just added price to the cost of goods and it put more pressure on the American consumer. So one of the things that I think would be a very good idea is if we took those tariffs and we steered them to small businesses and made incentives so that the small businesses can can take in that money and and employ more people. I also think that the stimulus mm -hmm. that was given could be used as a bonus now to employees to add to their salaries. And I think it would give a great incentive for people to come back into work. Well said, you know, it, it, people will come back, especially if you pay them, I don't want to say a fair wage, but certainly more wages, whatever it takes, you pay them to open this back up and get this whole problem open back up. But it will take time. Mark Garson of uh, iBrands, real pleasure to have you on and your insight, Mark. Have a great day. Thank you. Okay, you too. Thank you. Or good evening in your case, Mark. Thank you. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and why inflation pains hitting your wallet may just be getting started. We got a little bad news ahead. I'm sorry, but don't turn off the TV because we also have Oppenheimer's John Stolfus who will lay out where to invest now around some of these inflationary pressures. We're back right after this. Time now for your morning RBI. And today's most random but interesting thing is on inflation because we are sorry to say we have some potentially bad news for you. It may get worse. That's right. Even though the prices for nearly everything are up, at least one big firm sees them going even higher. Look at these two charts from Nordea. First, on a macro level, European bank Nordea sees core U.S. inflation going above 5% before New Year's. And they see headline inflation possibly hitting a stunning 6%. Look at that chart. A massive pop. Much of that would be due to rising rents and rising car costs. But even if you're not in the market to move or buy a car, you probably are in the market to eat. And those costs are going to rise as well. Now, we have talked about this for over a month now here on Worldwide Exchange because natural gas is a huge part of nearly everything, including Fertilizer manufacturing. Most fertilizers are made of chemicals, not cow dung. Fertilizer costs are soaring. No bull. Which means that farmers will pay more, which means that you will likely pay more. Oh, and also keep an eye on shares of companies like CF and Mosaic. Fertilizer names we have highlighted in the RBI exactly one month ago. By the way, Nordea also says that despite what some in D.C. politics are saying... Vaccine mandates are negative for the labor supply and also inflationary. We've heard the exact opposite in some interviews lately. Time will tell who is right. But costs, at least according to one big firm, they are going up for nearly everything. Random, 
but inflationary. Seems like a perfect jumping off point to bring in John Stolpus of Oppenheimer. John, it's good to have you back on the program. I'm sure nobody's asked you about the stock market and inflation lately, but if I'm the first one to do that, and I say that obviously tongue-in-cheek, how do you respond? Why, aren't, why isn't the bond market responding to this? Well, I think, I think uh, Brian, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be across the pond today with you. Uh, would have to say the bond market uh, appears to be thinking that perhaps uh, they could have, uh, there could be, the market could get nervous if there would be a change at the leadership of the Fed. Uh, the market always tends to be, uh, bond market tends to be nervous about who's leading the Fed. When you, the personality of the Fed chair is very important. Uh, beyond that, though, looking at the equity market, we'd have to say when it comes to inflation, you know, you want to own near term, you want to own the materials and you want to own energy. It looks like both still have further upside uh, it, 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 uh, in, in those particular sectors. But you also want to want to own uh, other sectors as well. Uh, consumer discretionary that can pass on uh, uh, the cost to consumers when they're hungry to buy things. I don't mean food, but just uh, the, the spirit to buy uh, industrial stocks on this infrastructure play technology technology doesn't go away it, it's part of our lives it's yeah. deeply embedded in it uh, and and you also uh, you want to own the financials because you're going to get a steepening of the yield curve once the bond markets gets over this nervousness but we've been waiting on that for a long time john i mean that's the whole point like when does that yield curve change and i know it's 550 in the morning the yield curve make people want to go back to bed but it matters for the equity market especially for big banks it, it certainly does. It, it matters, it, uh, particularly for the big banks near term. It's probably better for technology near term uh, in that sense. And, and that's why we barbell uh, growthier value with garpier uh, uh, growth. Uh, and so we've got consumer discretionary and tech on one end. And on the other side of it, we've got uh, financials and industrials. Is there anything we just absolutely positively have to avoid owning right now? I'd say right now that the funny thing is, you know, the one area that we think will, will underperform is utilities, uh, because with the utilities, while they uh, they right now you have the potential for interest rates to come up as we get into next year. Problem with that is that's when utilities become recognized as a bond proxy uh, and they're highly regulated in terms of what they can charge. So that's going to be it would be an issue for them. They'll be able to raise their their uh, their their costs with inflation, but we'll just have to see. We we prefer things that offer uh, garpier uh, growth and growthier growthier value. It's a barbell. Garthier growth and garpier growth. I don't know how you got that out, John, but I'm impressed. By the way, growthier garp, <laughs> the world according it's, to garp. John Stoffel's of Oppenheimer. I appreciate Growthier growth. Got it. Got it. Garthier growth. Got it. I'll never be able to do that again. John, thank you. Have a great day, my friend. Take care. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange, live from London. We're going to see you tomorrow here as well. Squawk Box picking up the coverage. Next, I'll be on in about 30 minutes also to talk about China's coal appetite. Yum. We're back right after this with Squawk Box. See you tomorrow on WEX. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. 
And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.